0: You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Is there romance after marriage? I mean, I get that very often when uh, people uh, talk to me at marriage enrichment seminars that I do. They're like, you know, I mean, is it possible to maintain romance through the life of your marriage. Usually what they're telling me is their marriage is no longer romantic. And the problem is I've heard from many people where their marriage is ending because one person thinks that the romance being gone means the love is gone. So I want to talk a little bit about that because we're coming out of what a lot of people have told me is just something they were trying to get through Valentine's Day, you know, You you might have noticed how every year it seems that it gains steam on the marketing side. Right after Christmas, you know, I go in, I guess it was um, just a few days after Christmas, and I noticed that we were going from red and green in the stores to pink and purple in the store. Already, even as we were not even into the new year, they were getting ready for, you know, just six, seven weeks later, what came this week, Valentine's Day. And, and so every year, it seems like every holiday gets hyped a little bit more in the media. And unfortunately, this one seems to be really a stumbling block for people who are in the midst of a painful relationship. It's a stumbling block because they don't know what to do. You know, do you send a card? Do you send flowers? Do you send a gift? Do you say anything? Do you even plan to do anything? Or do you just do what a lot of people I talked to did, just kind of duck and hope it passes? Unfortunately, what's behind Valentine's Day is this whole emphasis on love equated to romance. It's the day of romance, and for me, that's kind of interesting because the roots of this holiday aren't much about that. St. Valentine is the person that we get the name Valentine's Day, and it was St. Valentino. He was a bishop, and he was a martyred bishop, which is one way you get your own day named after you. You, you get martyred. And this particular bishop was martyred for disobeying the emperor around uh, church issues, around faith issues. In particular, This emperor was trying to expand and protect his empire, and what he needed to do that was build an army. And one of the things he realized is one way of having a really good army is to make sure your soldiers don't have any reason to want to go home. They're there to protect the empire, not to protect themselves, because if you're protecting yourself because there's this family at home, you might not fight as hard for the emperor as he would like. And so he decided that he was going to forbid any young men from getting married that were of conscription age. (laughs) Remember, they weren't signing up to be (laughs) the protectors of the empire. They were forced into that already. And he was making sure that they were unencumbered in his mind by saying, no more marriages. You can't get married. Now, as you can well imagine, saying there can't be any marriages doesn't stop people from loving other people. Uh, That doesn't work that way, as as history has shown over and over, and so what would end up happening is young couples would sneak to this bishop, Valentino, and have him marry them. Well, that was found out, and so the bishop wanted him to renounce the church, renounce what he'd been doing, and uh, change his ways, and the bishop refused. He stood fast in his belief in love and in commitment and then the importance of marriage so we've taken that that martyr and said it's all about romance and let me first be very clear I'm not opposed to romance. <laughs> I'm not a person who is opposed to being on a romantic date with my wife or doing romantic gestures. And so to be clear, this, I'm not trying to splash water all over romance. It just is interesting to me how we have made that as kind of the, the measurement, the measuring stick for relationships. So a lot of times people will say, you know, I just don't feel that anymore. I don't feel the romance anymore. And so the the, the marriage must be dead. The the love must be dead. And unfortunately, that's made a false assumption, and it puts the order wrong. So to answer the question I started with, is it possible for a marriage to have romance the entirety of its marriage? Yes. If the people who are in it are doing romantic things and creating that connection— You see the feeling of romance, of being in love, that in love feeling, the warm fuzzies has uh, its, its beginning point in what gets people together, right? That's pretty much how people fall in love and that's unfortunately why we equate it with no longer in love because it no longer feels the same way. So what happens when you meet this person that you're attracted to, and I can attest to it, having done this with my wife, is you, you, your whole body is mindful of this other person, right? Your whole essence, your whole being, your whole mind is focused on this other person. You want to be with them as much as possible, to be as close as possible, to connect as many ways as possible. And that, that feeling of overwhelm is what drives that feeling of in love, it's about being so connected that you want to uh, be as much with this person as possible. And that's a lot of fun, but it's not sustainable, not that level that level is just not sustainable for a number of reasons. One is we have to go back to life, right? Uh, I fell in love with my wife during college and somehow still had to manage uh, to keep going to class and, and keep doing those assignments. And I remember much preferring to skip class and be with her than to go to class. But life was was impinging on that for both of us we both had to do that and most people find that they you might set aside other things so maybe they spend less time with friends and maybe they spend less time in their hobbies but there still has to be something they're doing to keep moving forward in life and over time you kind of find a rhythm with that but over time your body also gets used to that that's what our body does our body turns to a natural state of what scientists call homeostasis think of it as baseline. This is true in so many areas of our lives and uh, and it's an important part, right? We can we can deal with fluctuations, but eventually we we kind of go back to the means unless we internally make a change. For instance, more and more science is showing that most people have a certain range of weight that's normal for them. And it's not just a matter about calories in, calories out, it's not just a matter of exercise. But there is a baseline that is based on lots of of pieces. And can we artificially inflate that? Yes. It's possible that we add extra weight onto our body. Is it possible that we undercut that? Yes, for some time. But eventually, as people who know from yo-yo dieting, it tries to get back to that baseline. There's some safety in that. The same is true for even happiness. There's been research on what happens when people, for instance, win the lottery. For a short amount of time, their happiness level goes up, but then it returns to a baseline, which is why lots of people who uh, win lotteries, A, can't hold on to their money, and B, end up being as unhappy as before or as happy as before. It, It makes no real change in their baseline. The same is true if something bad happens. If somebody has an accident or something else, initially their happiness level may drop, but over time they adjust and it returns to kind of their baseline that's this baseline idea well it also plays into the biochemistry of falling in love that feeling of being in love in many ways it's driven by a number of different hormones but one of them is adrenaline One of the reasons we get so obsessed about the other person is we want to hold on to them to make sure that nobody else gets near them, right? We're trying to keep what we want, and that's adrenaline. There's a fear basis to it. I might lose this person. So if we fast forward this just a little bit, one of the things that we pledge in a marriage, in a wedding, is to stay with this person through whatever kind of days comes our way. It's no longer a question of can I win this person over? That's happened, right? And so you no longer have ostensibly the concern of, am I going to lose this person? Because now we've we've made this promise. And that's part of the comfort of a marriage. I was at a wedding at one point when I overheard uh, the, one of the people who got married say, well, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. I can eat whatever I want. I don't have to exercise anymore because now I have my spouse. And first that told me something about the, the safety feeling that they had developed about you know being in this relationship. But the second thing it told me is that they had been working out of fear of losing the love and doing all these things to avoid that. That's the adrenaline-based level of trying to avoid that pain. Well, over time, there's a shift. Your body will get rid of that adrenaline at some point, And we'll get used to whatever it's scaring it. At some point, it just happens. And at that point, we have to make a shift in the mechanism of that attachment. Bob Grant and I, in an interview, talked about the shift from going from an adrenaline-based attachment to an endorphin-based attachment. Adrenaline is where you're doing everything you can to hold on to this person. When we shift to endorphins and that goes away, the way we create endorphins is by acting in love. Not acting to hold on, but acting in love. Doing loving actions. This is not the same as doing romantic actions, but loving actions that look at the other person as, I I want to be a part of a team with you. We're together in this. I have your back. You have my back. We're in this together. Unfortunately, though, what happens for couples is when they get married, they often assume that things will just continue on. And when that doesn't happen, because of the natural progression, they see that as a red flag not as a normal adjustment but as a red flag. The interesting thing about uh kind of the wedding industry is nobody goes to a wedding and and if they did I would be concerned about them recognizing the the odds, right? If I walked up to somebody at a who's getting married and said, "Hey, what are your chances of getting divorced?" First, if it's at the wedding and they told me they had a 50/50 chance, I would be concerned about their outlook, but second, That is the realistic outlook. That's basically the the statistics. They're not quite 50-50. It's 48% of marriages will end in divorce. That's for overall. It's a a little better statistic for first marriages and a little worse after that. But basically it's a 48-52 split of divorce to making it through. We don't see that though. In fact, for a number of years, People who in my town were getting married and about five or six different churches had to come through my office for three sessions in order to get uh, kind of the permission of the church uh, to get married. I would have to write a letter and say, yes, they attended their three sessions. We, We chose three sessions because that was enough to at least open up some conversations, but not so much that they would choose to just get married outside of the church. And so the churches had negotiated this with me and and they had that as their standard. So I got to see a lot of couples who were coming through. And one of the things that I noticed is they didn't really want to involve themselves in long conversations with me because they didn't see the need to. There There were exceptions. There were many people who had these deeper conversations, but most came in with a belief that they had already beat the problem. They'd already beat the statistics. They had real love. By, you know, extrapolating from there, that meant that the people who were divorced didn't have real love at that point. That they had something, that they had already found this real love that other people had not found. And that's why they were going to beat the statistics. And the fact is, what they were feeling was the in law feeling and believing it would sustain them for the rest of their lives. The facts are that that feeling is going to go away, it's going to transform in some ways. 18 months is kind of the average for that. Some people make it longer, some people don't make it that long in having that in law feeling. But eventually, you have to return to some baseline. And if that baseline return feels abnormal, then you think that something has gone wrong. If, however, you recognize that that is the normal process, then you can ask the question, how can we keep returning to this feeling? How can we have this feeling of in love over the course of our relationship? That's the challenge. And part of what we're challenged by is the fact that that takes intentionality. I think of the feeling of in love as being an overabundance of the connection that leads to feeling love. Connection is the lifeblood of any relationship. And when I'm connected with somebody, I have uh, the stronger sense of connection within that that we can call love. And if that connection keeps growing, the, the kind of the outgrowth of that is that feeling of in love. And so in our culture, a lot of people will note that that shift has happened and that something must be wrong because of it by saying, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. They're basically saying, I've lost that loving feeling, if you want to quote a song. Uh, And they're missing something that we're seeing every day thrown at us from songs and movies and books and TV shows of what love is. It's the romantic side that they show. I remember at one point talking with a couple and uh, the uh, minister had clued me in on their vows and said, I want you to uh, know that this is their vow. Their vow was basically ending with, as long as we love. I'll be with you as long as we love. And remember that most wedding vows are, you know, as long as we both shall live. That's the ending point where this is a pledge for life. And as I talked with this couple, they were already using this as a measurement this marriage will sustain us as long as we feel this love, we feel this intensity of love. If that's not there anymore, then we must not be meant to be together. That was what their vow was based on. And so for me, a vow is something you promised that will take you through the times where you no longer feel the way you did when you made that pledge so that you can work back towards it. And they were already creating the exit ramp of I no longer feel it so we go our separate ways so can a marriage always be romantic well that depends on whether you're taking this based on a natural feeling or acting in romantic ways do I feel romantic as the lead point and therefore I act in romance or do I act in loving ways that lead to the romantic feelings I think the second one is correct Yes. Marriages can always be romantic. Can they be romantic 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? No. But we can turn our attention back to the relationship. I can always choose to be loving towards my spouse and even taking loving romantic actions towards my spouse. But is that always going to naturally be there? Not without our attention. So what are the the habits that get in the way? Well, let's talk well, let's talk about what the barriers are in getting in the way because one of those barriers is habits. It's really habits hurt and history that push the romance away. So the habits. You've heard me talk probably about the pause button marriage that becomes a habit. We put our pause on. So we get married because we love this person. And then after we marry them, we go, okay, we've got that, right? We got that covered. We're good. Pause for kids, for job, for hobbies, for friends, for travel, for whatever else it is. There's some reason we go, oh, instead of devoting my time to my spouse that I was devoting before, I'm going to do these other things. And we'll come back to us later on when we have more time. And maybe that's when the kids get older, when they go to school, when they finish school, when they have their own kids, when their grandkids are growing. I mean, at some point, they keep pushing it forward, but there is some point when they go, we'll get back to us. Or maybe when the job has gotten to a certain point, you know, whether I've gotten the promotion or the pay raise or retirement, whatever it is, we'll eventually come back to this. After the hobbies are done, after uh, we've traveled or I've traveled or you've traveled or whatever the travel is, all that happens, we'll unpause. The problem is you can't pause a marriage. Relationships are not pausable. They are either expanding or contracting. They're either growing or shrinking. That's it. There's the connection is what gets choked off in that. So when we hit the pause button, what we do is we create habits within that. Another habit that often gets in the way is the divide and conquer theory. Now, there are plenty of ways you can say, hey, you know what? In our marriage, I'll take care of this area. You take care of that area. But when we make everything divide and conquer so that you're over there and I'm over here and we never are in the same place, suddenly that becomes a habitual disconnection. Our habits of disconnection often get to the place where there's just not any time for those feelings to be there. The second is hurt. No matter how great your relationship is, there are going to be hurts along the way. The longer you're together, the more they pile up. And if you don't have a way of dealing with the hurt, of finding forgiveness, of taking responsibility, of even apologizing for all of that, the hurt can build up to the point that it chokes off the warmer feelings. So the hurt feelings lead to a shielding a blocking of feeling anything else and the last one is history over time we're going to make mistakes over time we're going to miss the mark and that history can build up and over time the combination of habits hurt and history keep us from feeling the kind of connection that we want to so what is the path back well Let's talk about a few different things you might do to get back to that loving feeling. The first thing I would say is to try new things together. Stagnation is a danger in the relationship. A stagnation in the relationship and a stagnation in your life. So try new things together. Try out new things. And not just try out new things together. Try out new things in life. It's okay if each of you pursue different hobbies along the way as long as you bring that energy back into the relationship and have that as a share point. But make sure you try new things together, new restaurants, new travel, new adventures, uh, new ways of relating to each other, uh, new ways of spicing up your romantic life. Lots of different things to do, but try new things to make sure that there is still energy coming into the relationship. The second thing is Uh, more important, and that is to find healing. You can make sure on your part to do that by making sure you're responsible for the actions you take that you then regret, for the, the bad actions you take, and you go, you know what, I need to be responsible for how I handle that. So being responsible for your actions and apologizing for it, and also being willing to forgive the other for their actions. You've got to find a way to create healing in the relationship. The third thing is find ways to build connection. And part of what we miss in this is that when we decide to connect, feelings of love follow the connection. It's not we love and therefore we connect, but we connect and therefore we build the love. So focus on building the connection. Remember that connection happens on three different levels. It happens on the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual level. And you have options on how to do that. I I talk about this a good bit in my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. But it's basically those three areas that you can focus your connection. And the last thing is to make sure that your biggest way of showing love is acts of love. You might feel the love, but your spouse doesn't see it except for in your actions. Are you acting lovingly? Are you acting in ways that feel loving to your spouse? For instance, speaking their love language, Gary Chapman's idea. These are ways to get started. But what if you need more help? Well, I do have a course at SaveTheMarriage.com, SaveTheMarriage.com, that will help you understand more about how to do that. I have a number of books. You can find those at SaveTheMarriage.com slash books. That's SaveTheMarriage.com slash books. And especially for for men who want to be better husbands, I have The Husband Boot Camp at thehusbandbootcamp.com, thehusbandbootcamp.com. The big thing, though, is to take action. Don't wait for the feelings to return. Walk towards the feelings and bring them back to life in your relationship. This is Lee Balkum, wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage listening to save the marriage podcast for more information and help please visit us at savethemarriage.com the